This call may be recorded. It will be. Welcome to Bank of America. In a few words, please tell me what you're calling about. Auto loan. Help with an auto loan. Please hold while your call is being transferred. Thank you for calling Bank of America. This is Yesenia. May I have your first and last name? Gabrielle Dunn. And how can I help you today? Um, so I wanted to ask, uh, how much is my auto loan before before I own my car? The original loan amount was $14,453.33. And what is it now? Your current balance is going to be $8,517.52 with a per diem or daily interest charge of $1.22. Oh, so the longer, so the longer I wait to pay it off, it's it becomes more. Um, yes, ma'am. Okay, what do you, do you think is the best thing to do? Would it be better for me to just pay that all off if I can, or pay it off in increments? Um, yes, ma'am. If you pay it off, the sooner the better, because you are saving yourself on interest charges. Um, your maturity date is not till December of twenty nineteen. So, if you were to wait until then, you'd be paying, you know, what's stated on your contract and interest. What date is in 2019? Your maturity date, the date that it's scheduled to be paid off. Oh, am I thus far doing like an okay job at it? Uh, you've been late a few times, but right as of right now, you are current because your next, well, your payment was due on the 10th, so you're still within those 10 days of a window of opportunity before you're assessed a late fee. There's Oh, I've been... How many times did I pay a late fee? Let's see here. Let me count it for you. Can I place you on a brief hold? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Oh, God, you have to count it. Uh, she can't just look. She has to count how many times I've been late. I'm such a dum-dum. Thank you for holding, Miss Den. It looks like you've been late um, nine times. Oh, is does that like count against me in any way like is my is i mean that's gonna reflect on your credit report okay okay all right thank you so much you've been very helpful you're very welcome (laughs) is done anything else i can help you with today i think that's it thank you i didn't like getting any of that information (laughs) you got problems that you ought to be concerned with you don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Sup, losers? It's me, Gabby Dunn. Also a loser, so I'm allowed to call you that. This is Bad With Money, a show for losers. We're all inclusive here. <laughs> So, I was recently described on the internet as a bisexual who doesn't believe in really any rules that exist in society. Shout out to McKenna Bailey for that article. While that comment makes me feel very seen, one thing I do believe in very strongly is unwritten rules. Some unwritten rules are great, like where if you buy a round of drinks, your friend automatically buys the next round. Or if you're driving people somewhere, you get to pick what music they play in the car. Or what podcast. Guys, put this podcast on. There are also, however, a lot of really sinister, fucked up, unwritten rules. Like women routinely having their voices and opinions suppressed and misconstrued by ignorant dudes with too much power. Like bisexual people routinely being told they're going through a phase. Like people of color routinely being represented by white people in heavy makeup in Hollywood movies. Shout out to Ghost in the Shell. 
Like most things, these issues get even more evil when you add money to the mix. For marginalized communities in particular, it's like money becomes this extra way of keeping us fenced off from the mainstream, whether it's by paying us less for equal work, denying us professional opportunities, undervaluing the relevance of our stories in media, or simply assuming that we lack the basic economic resources to participate in society in a meaningful way. Roxanne Gay is a best-selling author who also happens to be a queer black feminist of size, and as she recently explained to This American Life host Ira Glass, society doesn't even want her to buy a car. People look right past you and they don't think that you have anything of value to offer. Like you can go into a car dealership, for example, and you're the very last person that the dealer will walk up to because they think you can't buy a car. Has that happened to you at a car dealership? Uh, Yeah, definitely. But today, fair listeners, Roxanne is on my show. That's right. Roxanne Gay is on Bad With Money. On my show... Roxanne shares the rest of that car dealership story, and she also told me about finding the nerve to declare her creative value, laughing in the face of the publishing patriarchy, and also spontaneously came up with a pretty stellar takedown of capitalism that you're going to want to have your pens and notebooks ready to transcribe. You guys do listen to this show with a pen and a notebook, right? Because it's nonstop gems? Yeah, that's what I thought. All right, ladies and gents and non-binary listeners, it is time for you to meet Roxanne. Roxanne rules. She's the author of the amazing essay collection Bad Feminist and the novel An Untamed State, as well as just a million other things. She's a powerhouse. She also writes for the New York Times. She founded her own small publishing company, Tiny Hardcore Press. And I'll bet you that right now, even as you're listening to this, she's clapping back at a troll on Twitter with a stunning takedown. Oh, they're brutal. It's so great. In particular, and we'll talk about this in the interview... She was tweeting recently about how stupid it is when people ask her, literally a best-selling author, to work for them for free. She's amazing. I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation. I'm so honored, as cheesy as that sounds, to have her on the show. Since we've talked so much about my sordid family history with money on this show, I started things off by asking about her parents. My parents were very frugal. And so uh, if I have a thesis statement, it is don't live beyond your means. You know, I I was really lucky. My dad worked outside of the home, but my mom was the financial manager. He handed her his paycheck every week. And she has... They're both really good with money, and he always treated her like an equal partner. And I, I just wish every woman could have a partner like my father. I had a sort of weird situation where... I mean, I guess not weird, but my mom was the breadwinner, and my dad was sort of like the ne'er-do-well... And so for me, it was like, oh, the the woman is the one who makes the money or like, oh, okay, we're sort of not as financially well off as the people around me because I went to a a private school on a scholarship and stuff. And um, did you have any sort of revelations like that where you were like, oh, okay, this is how my family is versus the other families or... Everything was pretty standard for the most part. When I look back now, I can tell that when I was very young, my parents struggled and they shielded us from it. And for me, the real awakening and when I really started to think about 
how other families lived was when I went to private school. I went to boarding school, and we had been well off, and then I went to school with people who were extraordinarily wealthy, generations wealthy. Yeah, and there's a big difference. There really I- is. And that was really eye-opening. I thought I knew what wealth was. I mean, I had seen um, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach, but I, that, I thought that was like a fantasy. I didn't think it was real. And then I met people who had wealth beyond that, like buildings named after them wealthy and Heinz ketchup wealthy. And so that was really eye-opening. Did you imagine that writing would be a career, like a thing that you would make money doing? I imagined it would be a career, but I certainly had no illusions about making money doing it at all. So I've always had a day job because I have no interest in suffering. And I knew that was going to be the most efficient way to pay the bills. I used to work for a student loan company doing loan consolidations. I worked in university communications. I have worked in telemarketing. I have worked for Gallup. I've bartended. Yeah, isn't so... This is sort of crazy. I guess people would think that you are just wealthy because you're well-known. Does that make sense? Yeah, they would. I mean, that's always the easiest thing to do is to assume someone's wealthy instead of assuming that they've worked their ass off. Uh, But people (laughs) would think you didn't have a... People would think you didn't have a day job. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't know I have a day job, which is weird, but okay. But even I wouldn't... I guess I would be like, she's like super well-known on Twitter and she wrote for the New York (laughs) Times, so she's wealthy. No, super well-known on Twitter. (laughs) Let me tell you what super well-known on Twitter pays. It pays nothing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there are a lot of very successful writers who have to have a day job. That's the reality of writing, especially when you write literary fiction and when you write about feminism. I know, but I guess I thought... For a long time, like, oh, you write a book, and then once that book is published, you're J.K. Rowling. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> I, I'm a realist. I live in the actual world. <laughs> and so I never thought that. I, I certainly dreamed that, like, that I would get this huge advance, and my first two advances were a joke, um, respectfully. I say that respectfully. And so An Untamed State was $12,500. Yeah. And Bad Feminist was 15000 Mm. Why do you think that is? I have uh, theories. I have theories, too. <laughs> um, I'm not a pretty little white girl. That would be my number one theory. You know, my, with my novel, I think my novel advance was low, but not shockingly low in terms of what a debut novel from a relatively unknown quantity is. And I am extraordinarily happy with both of my publishers, to be clear. With Bad Feminist, you know, it's a, a bunch of essays about feminism <laughs> and sure, popular but culture. Isn't that like a zeitgeisty hot button topic? Like, isn't Amy Schumer's book, you know, $8 million book, and it's basically the same thing? In, yes, but in... I'm not Amy Schumer. You know, this is the reality of publishing that for every half million dollar deal, there are people getting low five figures. But the good news is that the book's earned out right away. And so for the rest of my life, I earn royalties on those books. Now that I'm on the other side of it, I would much rather have that advance than to get like a $350,000 advance, a $600,000 advance, and never have it earn out and never publish again. But I do think there's a happy place between 15000 and 500000 Yeah, definitely. 
And I, yeah, I agree with that. The pressure of thinking like, if I don't make the money back, then I will I be able to have a second book or a third book? Right. My agent is actually really good and really smart. When she started representing me, she asked me, what do I want? And I said, I want to be able to quit my job within five years. And she has made that possible. I wanted a career. I didn't want to be like one-stop shopping. Do you um, remember the first thing that you got paid to write? Oh, yeah. The first thing I got paid to write was a short story in, a, in an erotica anthology. How much did you get paid for that? $50. Nice. Yes. So for me, a lot of times when I was starting out, I was more excited to get the thing published and I never cared what the payment was. My dad would always go, well, how much are they paying you? And I'd be like, you're getting a real buzzkill right now because mm-hmm. I just got this thing published that's so great. And then you'd be like, yeah, but they're not paying you enough. And I'd be like, can you not? Were you like that? No, not really. Uh, I published a lot for free up until probably a year ago. I would publish things for free, but increasingly I ask for payment and I won't write for free. And I also ask for a ridiculous rate now. It helps to we- <laughs> it just helps to weed it out because there are only so many hours in a day. So it's like, no, I'm sorry, I can't write for 10 cents a word. <laughs> I love that? to do that. I love to say like a ridiculous number back and then go, if they don't want to pay that, then great, I don't have to do it. And if they do want to pay that, great, that I make that amount of money for this exactly. thing I maybe don't want to do. Exactly. It's so freeing to be like, yep, $3 a word. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you because I hope that they're going to say no because Mm -hmm. I just don't have the time. Uh, So it's, it's good to have a price. Why do you think a lot of people write for free or why do you think writers are more reticent to ask for compensation? Because culturally we don't value writing and we don't value intellectualism. And we have this really bizarre idea that anyone can do it. Well, yeah, anyone can put words together, but can they do so well? Can they do so with ingenuity? No, they can't. And so we don't value it. And so much of what we're told as writers is you can never expect to get paid. And literary magazines, for example, very rarely pay. And so it's this really strange culture that just keeps reinforcing the notion that you should value art over money, but art doesn't pay the bills. Um, You write for free until you don't have to. Yeah, a lot of times starting out when I was working for blogs and stuff, they would not pay me. And then they would say, well, once you prove that you can get clicks, then we'll pay you. The line I get most often and have gotten most often is, but you're going to get exposure. And at this point in my career, when people run that line by me, I just laughed in their faces because I couldn't possibly have more exposure than I do right now. Yeah, I'm it's good. this thing of having more exposure than financial security. Yeah. Exposure does not pay for health insurance. It really, really doesn't. I wanted to talk about something that you you were tweeting recently. I don't remember the exact circumstance, but it was something about someone had asked you to do some unpaid labor and you were saying that. Um, or stressing how important it is to for writers or for women, I guess, to ask for compensation. What was that situation? Yes, uh, I was asked to provide commentary for a film product. And, you know, I get asked to do these kinds of things all the time. And the reality is that it is, it is work to, to make sure that I'm well-versed on whatever it is they want me to talk about. And 
to take time out of my schedule to do it. Oftentimes these things take up to four hours. And so I said, well, here's my rate for this type of work. And they said that they've never paid for this kind of work and that they don't want to compromise the integrity of the documentary that they're making. And I said, oh, okay, well, I look forward to seeing it when it comes out. Thanks for looking me up. And a couple days later, they emailed me and said, we'll meet your rate. Ha! So that's <laughs> been huge for me. So in the last year, it's been huge for me to say, when someone asked me to do something, to say, my rate is this. Yeah. It's something that's pretty new to me, I, but I've put in the time. I have put in the time. I have done the free work for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it's time to get paid. I mean, have you had any pushback when you asked to be compensated? Like, people angry about it? Rarely do I get anger, but a lot of times people will say, but it's a good cause. And my dental bills are a good cause, too. So, you know, that just doesn't move me very much. And the reason it doesn't move me is that I give about a quarter of my income away. So I'm very comfortable with asking for money. And I Give also, it away where? You know, to charities, nonprofits, yeah. whatever. I also, so a lot of times when you're talking about it's for a good cause, I've experienced that a bit with like LGBT consulting. You know, a movie will come out that's like, let's say about trans people. And then they'll say, oh, well, we could, had trans consultants on the film. And then the next question is, well, did you pay those consultants? And often they, they don't. Mm-hmm. And so I think particularly for like marginalized people, there's this thing of like we're asking for your opinion we're asking for your writing isn't that what you want like don't you Roxanne want to be like the one black woman in this anthology you know what I mean <laughs> how do you feel like, about that no you got to pay your tokens <laughs> <laughs> tokens gotta, for tokens pretty much you know I, it really depends on the issue and the organization if the organization has money they have to pay so for example when people from student organizations at Ivy League schools ask me to come there and they say, oh, we need you to do it for free. The answer is hell no. No. I'm sorry. When you are at Yale or Harvard and you have billions of dollars, then you need to be creative and figure out how to afford me. But that's, I think that is radical because I've talked a lot about this with contracts where I, you know, I used to work for BuzzFeed and with the <laughs> contracts, you don't ask. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> and a lot of times with the contracts, I think that the people that were they have, you know, they're seen as this bastion of liberalism and they have a lot of diversity. And then with the contracts, the people that are getting fucked by the contracts are often those people that are then put in front of the camera and championed as like, look at how many black people we have. Look at how many Asian people we have. Look at how many trans people we have. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because like, they don't expect us to ask for compensation. When Yale asks you to come and speak, they don't expect you to ask to be paid to do that. Yeah, it's And they ridiculous. expect a pat on the back for being like, look at us, look how cool we are. We have this black feminist coming. You know, the thing is that these people expect us to be grateful for being offered a seat at the table. Yes, that's the and problem. No, I'm not going to be grateful for your fucking scraps. You, and I'm not going to be the only one. And you're not really committed if you're just like, hey, come join this uh, this uh, advisory board. We're not going to compensate you or anything, but we are going to y use you. Um, yeah, if you could come here and teach white people how to be, that'd be so great. Thank you. Yes, for, exactly. You should be grateful that we're allowing you to do that. No. I hate that.
so I uh, wanted to, to talk about the essay that you wrote um, called Lessons I've Learned from Starting a, a Micropress. Oh, God, yeah. And um, about a tiny hardcore press. And um, a quote from the article that my producer really liked is about um, printing and shipping books for free, where it's like, if I could print and ship books for free, I would happily give books away for free. If you can't afford a book, though, and really want to read a tiny hardcore press title, I will likely give you the ebook for free because great writing deserves to be read and a lack of money shouldn't get in the way of that. What led to you writing that? Reading is not a privilege. Reading is a right. And that's why we have libraries. But it's really hard to get small press books into libraries. And so I understand when people are like, I, I can't afford to buy all of your titles. The reality is that small press's best customers are the people who can least afford to no. spend disposable income on entertainment. And books are, at the end of the day, entertainment. And so when I was writing that piece and I was thinking about what it takes to sustain a press, I, I am not averse to capitalism. I, I want to make money with the press, but that's not my primary goal. My primary goal is to get really great writers in front of really open readers. Part of that essay, too, talks about like, you can't offer free shipping unless you're willing to take a loss on the book order. But then, like, free shipping is something that people expect because of places like Amazon. And I think there's that, too, with, like, YouTube content where people expect us to not do sponsored videos or put things out for free because they're used to just being able to access whatever videos they, they want. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just silly. Especially, I mean, in terms of the YouTube thing, that's just absurd. Like, how do they think the videos get made? I think I mean, they're not thinking about it, Roxanne. Like, I honestly, I, it's been really, for me, in my, like, three years of doing online video, it's been mind-blowing how much of a disconnect there is. Yeah, people think, oh, I have an iPhone, I could shoot a video. But that iPhone costs money. The laptop that you use to upload the video costs money. The higher-end YouTube videos have sound, and they are using cameras. These things cost money. And your time is worth money. People just never want to believe that creativity has monetary value. And I wish I could ship books for free, but it's simply not possible. I tried. Mm -hmm. And shipping, especially back then, was our number one expense. And it, it, I mean, it just broke the bank. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. And Amazon is a multi-billion dollar corporation. They can take the loss, and they do. They take a significant loss on shipping. I mean, come on. How do you think that shit gets to your house in one day? For our merch, for Just Between Us, there was a period of time where it was crazy, where, like, the, the shipping was more than the merch itself cost. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sp especially merch. Like, I do giveaways. Um, another thing that helped with Bad Feminist, I don't know where I got the idea, but I was like, I'm going to make a t-shirt. And so I bought about $2,000 worth of t-shirts and I gave them away. And oh. um, it really worked. People to this day still wear those t-shirts. Did and the t-shirt say, buy Roxanne Gay's Bad Feminist? It is a book of essays. You will like it. Just down no. the front. <laughs> I, I, you know, kind of. What I did was just trim that a bit to say just Bad Feminist. <laughs> oh, smart, 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 smart. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> you know, the, my, my inner editor came out and when I ship those t-shirts and when I do these giveaways for the books, Shipping is so expensive, and I'm, hap mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy to do it, and I am actually now in a position to do it. Uh, and so it's not a problem, but I, people really have no idea what shipping costs. I want to talk more about time as money, because I think people don't 
like I think they think what however long it took you to write the book is how long you worked on it or like however like because our YouTube video is three minutes we couldn't possibly have spent a day on it yeah like and also I think a lot of times there's other kinds of labor inherent in like being a creative where whether it's like being a small business and taking care of yourself or doing phone calls or even you doing this podcast with me right now like that's time is money Mm -hmm. do you um how would you explain that to people who are, are just like i don't understand why they have to get paid for these things well that's because pe i mean that's because people are cheap and stupid I i'm sorry <laughs> but that's just a fact <laughs> and again people don't think that the arts are work like because you love what you do you you shouldn't be compensated it's absurd uh, we just don't respect... I, I think people think that you have to suffer to earn money. And I think it's oftentimes because they're miserable and they're not doing what they really want to do. You know, like, I'm going to go work for 10 hours at my shitty insurance job and I deserve to be paid for that. But you are over there writing fanciful essays about the worst parts of our culture. That's not work. I almost think we should get a full-time salary just for dealing with harassment. <laughs> like, I'm just Oh, like... we... The minute someone figures out how to monetize harassment, I am signing up for it. The harassment is more work than the writing itself, by far. I think There's so, too. no comparison. Because it's so soul-depleting. They're so evil, and they're so mean. And the trolls really... They figure out your weak spots, and they stab them over and over and over again, relentlessly. And you're somehow expected to keep your chin up and don't engage and, um, you know, you're better than this. Like, fuck you. No, I'm actually not better than this. Uh, this is horrible and I'm going to say something about it. So I'm, I make YouTube videos. That is whatever my job. And then I woke up one morning and I had, and someone, because I'm a feminist, because I'm a queer woman who speaks or whatever, uh, someone had hacked like all of my accounts. And I spent the entire morning getting my accounts back and fixing them and blah, blah, blah. And it was all taken care of. But the whole time I kept thinking, like, I'm, time is money. Like, I'm taking time away yeah. from creation to deal with people who are angry about my creations taking my like accounts absolutely like and i don't get any money for that no i have a stalker and he lives about 50 miles away and i blocked him on twitter and i didn't realize he was local and uh I, he was just crazy he would just say crazy things to me and i was like well i don't need to look at this every day and so he calls my job and talks to various people at the university and he's angry that he doesn't have access to me. And so every time I have to deal with this, again, it takes time out of my day. It takes time out of whatever it is that I'm doing. And, and it makes you tired. It makes me tired and it also makes me fucking scared. Like, because on one of his Twitter accounts, he has all this imagery of, of guns and especially AR-47s. And so I just think, is this the day he's going to come to campus looking for me? And uh, looking for me simply because he disagrees with me. Oh, and he also thinks that I need an exorcism, that I'm possessed by a demon. And so, like, with something like that, I mean, that's even beyond your first-level trolling. That's, like, a committed troll who's mentally ill and needs help, but there are no protections because he hasn't made an overt threat. Right. 
that's what I think about. I'm like, how many essays could we get from Roxane Gay that would be incredible that we are not getting because she's busy with this stalker who hates that she, I don't know, is a lady talking? Like, I don't understand what his problem is. <laughs> I and don't so know what his problem like, is either. I can't, sometimes I can identify what it was that triggered them <laughs> for all of their talk about thinking trigger warnings are serious are silly, they get triggered by everything. <laughs> I've said that that they're so triggered. When the Leslie Jones stuff was happening, I was like, oh, "Y'all seem pretty triggered that a black lady was in a movie." <laughs> yeah, it's pretty traumatizing for them. And, and so, like when when these things happen, I try to pinpoint, like, what did I do? <laughs> Which is a silly attitude to have, but I, I know. you know, like, what did I do? And so I know it was something I wrote for the New York Times that triggered him, but I can't figure out which piece it was. Again, this is how much time I spend on this, like, right. trying to figure out, and then, like, thinking I should alter my behavior, but I haven't done anything wrong. I've simply expressed an opinion. I wonder how many, like, dude writers are, are have this take up, like, 25% of their day every day. None. Well, no, and not none. they're still not making as much stuff as we are. They sure aren't. I, I won't say none. I think that queer men, black yeah. uh, men of color, and Jewish men have have dealt with some of this. But there's no comparison. It's like 3% compared to 97% of women online who live with this kind of harassment. And, you know, harassment is a very mild word for what it is. Oftentimes it is stalking. When someone goes so far as to hack your personal accounts, I mean, they've taken it to the level of of felony. And it was like someone who just wanted my attention because they ended up... Mess- After they hacked me and I got my Snapchat back, they started messaging me on Snapchat because all they had done was follow themselves from my account so they could message me. That's all they <laughs> wanted. <laughs> and I was like, you just wanted to say hi? That's it? Well, oftentimes it is it is very much attention-seeking. The best part of me feels a measure of pity for them. But, like, you need to f- get some therapy or read a book or, or something. I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine who is a, a, a Chinese guy, Andrew T. He does the Yo! Is This Racist podcast. And we were talking about how... Everyone that we know, whether it's like a man of color or a, a queer woman or whatever it is, has like so many projects going on and also has to deal with so much shit. And it was at a point where I had been talking to a friend of mine who was just like a straight white guy who like was like couldn't get motivated to to put out like a podcast that he had done. And I was so mad where I was like, you can't get off your butt and release this one podcast (laughs) and you do nothing all day. That's what I, I guess that's what I mean about like your bad feminist getting lowballed is like the amount that you had to do in order to be like, whatever, I'll just outsell all of this and it'll be great and fine. And how like that book was like a huge book that year. It's just like so. The reality is that we continue to have to work not twice as hard, not three times as hard, but four times as hard to get a fraction of the recognition that your average white dude gets for existing. And that's pretty dispiriting to like, when I look at how hard I work and the number of projects I have going on and I'm like still like worried about, am I good enough? Oh my God. Am I doing enough? I'm beating myself up for not working hard enough. Allison, my my comedy partner, will, like, beat herself up for not working hard enough. And then our agent will go, are you kidding me? We have, like, like straight white male 
clients who are already famous, like are on an NBC sitcom, all they have to do is put together a proposal and they could have a book tomorrow and they won't do it. Let's take a day off. <laughs> but I don't even know what I would do with a real day off. Honestly. Yeah, do you take any days off? I'm trying to learn how to do that. Honestly, the break isn't really going to come until 2019, which is horrifying to say out loud. What? But are you like a Marvel? Are you the Marvel studio system? Just like releasing things until? <laughs> what do you mean yeah. it won't come till 2019? Yeah, I have books contracted through 2018 that I have to write. And also, I have at least two more years at my day job, even though I've taken a step back and I'm only teaching one class a year for the next two years just to see out the class that started when I started. And so, you know, in reality, I can't really take a significant amount of time off till 2019. So, uh, in the This American Life interview, mm -hmm. um, you talked about being ignored in car dealerships, and you were saying it's because the salespeople assume that you can't afford the car? Oh, yeah. I, I, I take that particularly personally. And so, I give myself pretty woman moments. With the car, I went and I was like, it's not the first time I bought a car, but it's the first time I've bought a really nice car. And when I went into the dealership, I could tell they were like, yeah, okay, whatever. So I just went in, I had done my research, and I was like, this is the car I want, and um, he was like, we have a 2015 still on the lot, and I was like, okay, great, what's the price? And then I gave him the price I was going to pay for it, and he was like, okay. Didn't really believe me until Didn't believe I, you? He just didn't seem to believe me, and I was like, okay, so are you gonna, like, talk to your manager or something? And then he was like, yeah, but, um, we're it was after five, so everyone, the business people had gone. Or so, it was weird. In my experience, when you go into a car dealership and want to buy a car, you can buy a car, no matter what time of day it is. Yeah, they jump like, for it. Yeah, and so he was like, "Come back tomorrow," um, and we set up an appointment. And I was like, "Okay." I came back the next day, and he was like, "I should shake your hand or ask for your autograph. I'm not sure." And I was like, um, I don't follow. And he's like, "Well, I handed your paperwork to my manager last night," and he was like, "Do you know who this is?" <laughs> and <laughs> I felt great. <laughs> After that, he was really nice to me. And I still don't know how to work my car. Because <laughs> <But that's, laughs> I travel too much and there's so many weird buttons. And it's kind of futuristic and very German. It's also interesting when they talk about, with the whole Colin Kaepernick thing, where that's going on now with him um, protesting police brutality by sitting out the national anthem. Uh people are like well he makes so much money so what is that like he why does he have to protest and when you're talking about the car stuff it's like yeah you you're, you can't buy your way out of assumptions about you based on your race you can't buy your way out of racism for one but also i am in a position where i have a safety net where i can afford to stand up and and address issues of racism sexism homophobia transphobia so on because I'm not living paycheck to paycheck anymore. And that's the problem with capitalism, ultimately, is that it doesn't provide for everyone. It really is survival of the fittest. And it's survival of the fittest that makes really arbitrary decisions about who's considered the fittest. Boom. Shit, I should have written that down. That was good. You nailed it. I will, <laughs> I will cut that out and put it in a little scrapbook and mail it to you. <laughs> Love Thank it. you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Gabby. It's a lot of people.
people will write essays, like women, female friends of mine, will write essays for places about very personal topics. And that place will pay them 50 bucks for their article. And then that article will blow up and they'll get a lot of hate or it'll end up on some alt-right stupid blog and they'll get like a lot of hate and a lot of exposure, quote unquote, but also they're opening themselves up to harassment and the people that are paying them don't factor in or don't care that there's more than $50 worth of emotional work and headache that went into this piece. So ask for more. If you think that your project that you're working on is going to invite bullshit, factor that into your price. You have your price for writing and you have your price for the bullshit. (laughs) And your price for writing the article is $200 and your price for the bullshit afterwards is also $200. Thank you for listening to Bad With Money. You guys have been so lovely sharing it and tweeting and doing so many things to promote it. I really appreciate it. If you like the show, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a rating. And be sure to tell all your friends who are bad with money that this is their safe space. Also, feel free to tell your friends who strategically restructure their investment portfolio to maximize their returns. I've been informed that sentence apparently means something. We are part of the Panoply Network. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is Panoply's director of production. And Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Our engineer is Bill Lance, and thanks also to Jeff Anderson at SoundLogic Studios in West Lafayette, Indiana. Original music for our show is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Our show art is by Cameron Glavin, and I am Gabby Dunn. And I will talk to you next time. Bye! Bye!